Welcome to Planning Phase Syndicate. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Tonight we have one less co-host, but a lot more content coming. Tonight we're going to be talking about the new changes that AMG has made to the ships that we're going to get, hopefully in what we were told, about a month to two, um, along with some of the suspected changes to points values. We're going to also talk about uh, Gen Con. And we're going to kind of go over some of the events that they released today, which we are extremely excited about. And we're going to be talking about a deep dive into standard format and some of the different list archetypes around one of the objectives. With that being said, let me bring my co-host in for the evening. Welcome, JJ, to the group. How are you tonight, sir? Doing all right, man. Uh, celebrated a 83rd birthday for uh, a family relative that we have today. Uh, really great. She's um, she's been a person who helped me out a lot um, coming down here in Florida, um, and I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today without that lady. Uh, so happy birthday, Elena, and I uh, hope uh, I'm the best for you. Awesome. 83 years young. That's pretty good, man. You don't usually yeah, get that. That's that. <laughs> you know. I don't expect to be 83, just personally saying, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Anyway, so glad, glad your weekend was fun and exciting. If you didn't notice uh, from the intro, if you're listening to us on Podbean or whatever your podcast capture is, you didn't get to see the new intro. You probably just got to hear the new music. It's not even finished. That is just my teaser. I'm thinking about adding either different music or a different um, different voiceovers for it. But with that being said, I created a new intro this weekend. So that was what yes. most of my time was spent doing. Other than we finally finished the Dungwitch Legacy um, Arkham Horror campaign. It took me forever oh, nice. for me and my brother and my son to finish it. We finished the very first campaign and then we started Edge of the Earth today so that was pretty fun maybe we should do an arkham horror cast you never know i don't know yeah that'd be good i know i'm going through uh D, &D right now um with uh with my brother and my nephew and a few of his friends as well um it's a lot of fun uh i'm um oh my god i forgot my classes um because i have like several campaigns going on i think mine is like um uh, it's not a road class it's like a out outlander um but yeah it's it's a lot of fun i have a lot of fun with it awesome um one of the things that we thought we would do that we haven't jj doesn't even know this yet but we've been talking about content trying to get content going different things we can stream our goal is to stream a couple times a week for x-wing games the other thing i wanted to do is do a star wars rpg campaign my son has all the material. He's been working. Um, he's supposedly building something. And I bet you if we could do that and do one of those like a month or something like that. And he would actually lead us through that campaign. Um, so look for more information to come. But we thought about I've been thinking about doing that all weekend. And I went through the books and I talked to my son. And he thinks that that's something that he could help us with. And... Well, let's have to figure out how do we want to animate? What do we want to put on the screen? That type of a thing. So it's so, not just like um, talking heads. 
I have, um, I've actually I, in the middle of playing that as well. And TTS actually does have quite a few maps um, and models to go with it. Um, and the best part about it is that uh, you can go onto some of the Legion uh, TTS models and actually copy those, save them as an object, and bring them into a RPG uh, mat and just you know uh, put them on there so that way you have like the actual like 3D models, kind of like X-wing, and that way they're represented on a board, and that's what you can actually stream um, there with all the models and everything. So it's a lot more visual. So it's really good. Yeah, so we we were talking about doing game, X-Wing games but on on Friday nights but we might switch to that um in a couple of week or a couple of couple of months once he gets that campaign set up and we draw char- characters. Probably should talk to Charles see if he wants to join too. Um if not, I thought that would be kind of a fun a fun thing to do um that we could do on the side. So, oh yeah. Awesome. Well, anyway, why don't we get into... Do we want to get into some of the changes? Uh, let's do Gen Con news and everything. And um, I, I know they, they'll... I'll start off with the Star Wars Celebration announcement. Um, it's just a quick word for it. Um, uh, Asmodi is hiring people to work the Star Wars Celebration event over in Anaheim. I believe the sign-up's closed tomorrow. So if you're interested in joining it, um, I've done uh, Star Wars Celebration in the past, working for Asmodi, actually in a number of different conventions here at Orlando. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, you they, they send you games to go out and, uh, and so that we can learn and test it and that we could demo it at their conventions. Um, they pay for your pass to go over there. Um, in some cases, if you're working the full time, they'll actually pay for your flight and hotel over there as well. Um, so if you have the chance to go out and do that, um, it's definitely a really great experience um, during your time free. Uh, once you're done working, you can go into the convention center, go out and see all the different um, like venues that they have over there. And if you have a day off or like a particular day, go enjoy some of the panels that they do over there at Star Wars Celebration. It is a ton of fun, and I highly recommend it. Now, did you do it before you had your kid? Uh, I've done it both. Uh Yes, I've done both. Um, <laughs> I, I normally do, um, back when they had it before COVID, uh, Dice, uh, Dice Tower Con uh, that was hosted by the Dice Tower Group that does like a bunch of board game reviews. They have a giant convention here. And I've worked for both Asimodi here, and I've also worked for Cool Stuff Games here as well, uh, to work in their booths here. Um, and it's fun. It's great. Yeah, I was a little sad it wasn't in Florida this year because it would have just been an, easy, an easier excuse. <laughs> you know, to come yeah. down and visit visit you and 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 Charles, but yeah, they normally yeah they they always do um, uh, at least for Dice Tower Con they tend to do it around July Fourth weekend, and it's usually like four to five days, um, and it's it's fun definitely lots of games lots of games. All right, so to begin with, let's do Gen Con. The rumor has it, and what I was told, was that they are going to have X-Wing three days. That's huge. So, all right. so And it is going to be a world's qualifier. So there will be world seats on the line. And it looks like... Uh, so they, they are doing... It's on Thursday... 
Uh, I don't know. So yeah. none of this. This is all crazy. Okay, because then they have X Wing standard tournament. So it might be that they're doing a side event first on Thursday, similarly like how they did it at, at Adepticon, and then Friday, Saturday would be the main standard for uh, the standard event. Um, or they're running it concurrently with the world's qualifier at the same time. Um, so I, I, it, they have to clarify it a little bit more clear on the documentation that they have there. Um, but I'm sure as we get closer, they'll they'll put in more information along with like prizes and stuff. So, oh, so okay, so I, I they have a world's qualifier pod on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It looks like wow. Okay, I wonder if it's going to be like a full like six rounds. Uh, I would guess that it's not going to be six rounds. Um, it says it's seven and a half hours. Let's click on it. Right, Gen Con tickets are not on. Gen Con passes are on sale, Greg, but the tickets for these events do not go on sale till May fifteenth. So we literally yeah. have exactly two weeks to make decisions, and then we all have to be online. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be capped at 64 players. So there will not be, I like this idea. This, that means there will not be, um, six rounds. So what is 64, 64 people? Is that five rounds or is that, that's four rounds. That's six hours total for so four five rounds. rounds then. So yeah, five rounds. Yep. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. That's neat. That means if they're doing 64 each day, that means that's a total of 180, about 200 people, roughly. Yeah. That's huge, actually. You know, to have that many players go in, um, it's it's going to be a lot of... Uh, um, a lot of opportunities to go and get your your world tickets. So if you guys are gonna go to Gen Con, you know, uh, as soon as those tickets go on sale, get them. Go get your tickets. They also are gonna have something called a World's Open Qualifier Pre-Cut, which I don't know what that is. Oh, it's free though. Well, we're gonna click on it and find out. I wonder if it's like a warm-up event. I wonder, similar to what we had at the gun. Okay. All right, that makes sense then. Huh. Crazy. Anyway, they also have something yeah. called Last Man Standing, which we don't know what that is. I don't know if that's going to be a new format. Um, Last Pilot Standing. So let's click on that because I didn't actually, I just so you know, I did not read any of these today. I saved all of this for the cast. Last pilot standing kind of sounds like aces high, except that you just keep on going. All right. So it says you play a fast and furious four player X-Wing. You control provided ships while destroying whoever you can bring spawn. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except that you can't bring your own. They provide you everything there. So it's kind of like the old uh, FFG furball where they pre set all the pilots up for everybody to come and play. And then you just choose one and you fly it. That's kind of nice, though, right? I mean, that means that's less setup time. That's less less, less stuff that you have to bring, bring because me. all the yeah. pilots are already there. Right? They'll be set up right at the table. Well, that's cool. So it looks like they're going to be firing a bunch of those, those off as well. 
Are you looking to go to Gen Con, JJ? No, sadly, conventions and uh, all these things are out uh, for me for the rest of the year. Um, Adepticon was my one shot for this year, but after um, like getting all my stuff sorted for my big move this year, there's no way I'm going to make it. Um, it. It's right at the heart of the time where I'm, I'm like moving all my stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think I will probably be going this year. Man, Greg said it. It's one hundred and twenty-five dollars just for the convention pass. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I just thought this would be neat. These are some. So I was very excited that they were going to have. They're having some sort of a standard tournament every day. They're having a world's qualifier tournament every day. Um. They're doing something called this last pilot standing. Um, and I'm guessing that we'll get something out of AMG within the next month. <laughs> I guess uh, yeah. they'll say something in a month, I hope, uh, to tell us what they're actually planning. Um, but I'm excited. That's three. I don't know if you're going to like, I'll be more interested to find out if like the top cut players win, win the, win the, um, whatchamacallit, win the tickets for the world qualifier, or if it's only final cut that gets that type of stuff you know so because yeah. if they if they said hey we're gonna give you know tickets away we're gonna give you know seats away i would play every day in the pot until i got it. yeah exactly. and then if i got it i'd be like here somebody else want my my spot <laughs> yeah exactly i mean you know you you if you fail in the first one you still have a chance to you know um make it to the top cut or with the next two events if you manage to get signed up in time for it That'd be pretty great. Yeah. Hey, you could probably run different lists too. Oh man. That'd be so much fun. Mm -hmm. I just want to see if they had the live action D and D. That'd be great, actually. Um well that was one that I've never I've never been to Gen Con. So and that was the one I, thing I want to do if I go there. Yeah, I actually was signed up to go to do uh, Gen Con in 2020, and then COVID hit, and that got canceled. And I was like, ah, but yeah, sucked. Well, I'm not seeing the live. I'll have to look it up later, but I will be very – so anybody watching this, if they do a live version of this, like live a live actual D&D, and anybody else that wants to go, I 100% would, would go do that. Like – I don't care. Like last time, I think it was like a hundred bucks or something like that. I don't care though. Like to me, that is a hundred percent worth the ticket price for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anyway, so that was kind of uh, that was kind of that. Wanted to jump into the ships. Let's do it. All right. So for the first announcement, they have a mini extravaganza on June 9th through the 11th. Hopefully it's a little bit more <clears throat> structured uh, than they've done <clears throat> in the past. Um, and actually what we probably should do is is talk through, J J maybe we should get with Greg and see if Greg wants to like like combine and maybe stream some games and we could like promote it or something like that and do commentary yeah. with him. Maybe we'll actually do a structured thing with the crap that they throw at us instead of, you know, like what we did last time. Yeah, that'd be fun if they do like they always uh, in the last two years, right? So far, they put out like um, like scenarios for everybody to play of uh, and just record your results online and submit it over to them. 
Uh, those are kind of like fun little one-off formats that, you know, would be great to stream and, and play online. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if we we committed to that weekend and said we're going to do all three days and, you know, if Greg doesn't want to stream, we'll stream or we we'll, we can work it out. I wonder if Greg would be interested in doing doing that. And then we could just rotate, you know, who wants to commentate versus who wants to play. So, yeah, I'll absolutely. happily commentate and watch it. But anyway, so mini extravaganza is officially announced. The first pilot that we have here is the Outer Rim Hunter. Mm -hmm. Yep, we got a generic one here uh, for the Rogue Class Starfighter here. Uh, we've seen the stat line before here. Uh, two attack, two agility, five hull, uh, two shields with that focus boost or barrel roll or evade and barrel roll. Um, pretty solid chassis, I would say. Uh, definitely uh, pretty tanky. I'd expect this to actually have um, some, some ordinance slots, but with the way that... Uh, the loadout points have been traditionally on all these generics here. Um, I I don't see this having very much in terms of loadout to to equip anything out down here. I would say, I don't know, maybe four or five points loadout points. In terms of cost of how much this would go, I mean, I, I would be really surprised if this is anything less than like three points <laughs> at, at best. Yeah. And I, I would agree. I, I will caution you, though. I mean, that's a seven health ship, JJ. I mean, I know it's yeah. only two agility, but like my uni, my the, my techno unibombers are three points and they only have five health, no shields, same stat line. That's true. So I actually bet you this is going to get priced in the four point range and they have linked actions, dude. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Would you put them at the same tier as I? And I know, I know that they have three attack dice, but as a tie interceptor. Uh, okay. Because this has yeah. almost double the health. Actually, yeah. no, more than double the health. It does. I, I don't know. I'm guessing four points is what they're going to do. I, I don't okay. see this coming in under four points, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe they'll get it because again, you got to think it, it, you don't want spam. Like, so what's. And again, I know this is dumb, but just think if they're three points each, you can fit what six in a list and then a two pointer. So six times seven is what? 42 health. They're not going to yeah. be three points. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. You know, they probably still burn down, but. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. The next pilot is Victor Hell. Yep, initiative four pilot here um, for the world class starfighter previously seen in the chemo and sorry in the Kirax fighter uh, that hasn't been re released yet here in Scum. So his ability reads: After you defend, if you did not roll exactly two defense die, the attacker gains one stress token, um, which is uh, actually pretty nice for this particular chassis. Um, he is pretty decent in the Kirax fighter as well. Um, I'm pretty sure this is going to come in at a five point cost um, just for that ability. It's, it's pretty much always, it's pretty easy to proc, especially if you're depending on range three um, or if you're playing with, uh, with outmaneuver uh, type aces like, uh, like wedge or uh, sometimes you'll see a Luke on the board with outmaneuver on it. Um, they're they're going to give that stress out to that, uh, that particular ship if they get targeted. So I do see this um, coming out around that, that point cost. Yeah, and I think that the the neat thing that you're gonna see, like they're gonna someone's gonna staple it, staple an engine upgrade to this too, right? I guess we missed that last week, but I, I didn't realize it was a native red boost, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. 
And the other thing to consider too um, is if you're running this with a large base that can equip, or, or even a medium base that can equip tactical scrambler, um, and they decide to take a shot through that ship, that's an additional green dice that they're rolling, and they're going to get stress on top of that. So that's a really good way to to desensitize him getting shot, um, and have the other people just shoot at the range zero shot instead. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. I agree with you. That's got to be a five-point ship. Like, otherwise, yeah. it's going to be a menace to deal with. Absolutely. The last one is Namlom. What? <laughs> uh, the Laughing Bandit. <laughs> Initiative one here, uh, previously seen on the Jump Master, actually. Um, so the one thing I got to comment is, is he attacking that uh, that mining guild tie? Because that thing's on fire. Like... <laughs> I don't know. I think he attacked it on his way through. He shot it, and he's like, I'm done. See ya. Have a nice life. So his ability reads, at the start of the engagement phase, you may choose one enemy ship in your forward arc. If you do, you treat your initiative as equal to that ship until the end of the rounds. Uh, so it's actually different than his ability that he had on the Jump Master. Now, uh, this ability is exactly, or at least partially, like... Um, an old 1.0 pilot that we had called Thweek, uh, who was on the Star Viper, who had the ability to copy another uh, ship's initiative um, or their pilot ability. You, you could choose one of the two, and it stayed for the, the remainder of the game. Um, and this version here in 2.0, it's a lot more toned down. It happens during the engagement phase only, not during the activation phase, which is huge. Um, and you treat it until the end of the round, which means that at the end of the end round, it goes back to being an initiative one. Now, there is, I, I do like that they tone down the ability a bit because you can't really abuse like copying on initiative seven or initiative six pilot and just have it running amok for what the point cost is going to be. I do see this still being a five-point cost ship because he still moves at initiative one. I can even make an argument for being a four-point costed ship. Um, he does have that ability to to copy that ace if he can. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, this is going to be a really good ship for the rogue-class starfighter. Uh, so the answer... <laughs> Is it cannot be a four point ship? This is this would be insane that a four point ship. I mean, because it's not really a, a a one initiative, right? It's that's not really a one initiative. It moves at one initiative, so it gets the advantages at of of the I one, and then we'll be able to shoot at whatever initiative you come at it with. And the best part is, it just has to be in your friendly or in your firing arc. In your front arc there. So it's not like it has to be bullseye. It doesn't have to be anything else. I kind of like this ability a little bit, except for it's very scary. I mean, can you imagine? You you cannot joust this ship without it getting a shot back at you. You just can't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And especially if this comes equipped with <clears> like uh, like a, a, a torpedo or missile slot or a uh, or a cannon slot, I think it'll be more dangerous with a cannon slot. Um, just getting that uh, that improved shot at range with a cannon, um, even an HLC on this would be like really deadly, especially if it get if it get get that uh, that shot lined up uh, against like a large base. Uh, this will do some pretty good damage. Yes, and I was going. I was looking at the dead to rights again, and and if we look at it, that's similar to what Ember has, actually, 
except for Ember says it has to be a damaged ship. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy that it says while you perform an attack. That's it. Because if it yeah. was anything else, it would be broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we have we're gonna bring back an oldie but goodly goody segment uh right now called our system malfunction. Tonight, with our system malfunction, we are going to discuss Null, Null's capability along with Namla, right? Okay. And so, so JJ and I had a little bit of a discussion beforehand, and we don't agree um, exactly with each other. Uh, so, essentially, the way Null says, and I don't know, can we bring, you know what? I guess I'd have to open. Yep. So, uh, I'll... Uh... I can read it off here. So Noel, and for those who don't know who that pilot is, he's a First Order uh, TIE FO pilot uh, for the First Order. So his ability reads, while you are not damaged, treat your initiative value as initiative seven. Um, so the conversation that we had uh, regarding this was the interaction between Nam and Noel. Um, so on my, my point of the discussion was that um, assuming that Null is not damaged, and by not damaged means that he does not have any hull damage on it. Um, if the player who had Nanlum had first player, meaning that he would shoot first in the, in the engagement phase, if he was able to put hull damage onto Null, then Null would immediately drop to initiative zero and would not be able to shoot until it reaches down to initiative zero. Um, and uh, and because Nanlam would have um, gotten his shot off first, he basically pushes Null all the way down the the initiative chain, and he himself does become an initiative zero at that point. So my belief is that that is incorrect, and I only say that because Null gets his initiative at the start of the phase. It does not say he changes initiative, and I don't know if we have any other any other cards that would actually change initiative. I could be we wrong. do actually. So in the first order, we have another pilot called Rush, right? He's an initiative to tie silencer pilot, right? And his ability reads that once he's damaged, you may treat your initiative as initiative six from that point on. So one of the rulings that we had gotten from uh I forget FFG or AMG at that point um, was that um, that if at a higher initiative, right? Like let's say at initiative six, Rush were to get damaged, um, then he becomes an initiative six. Uh, I'm sorry, let me start that over. So let's say at initiative five, right? Initiative six has already um, has already shot at initiative five. If they shot at uh, at Rush and he became damaged, then he becomes an initiative six. So one of the, the rulings that they had to make was that um, because he's no longer an initiative two, does he skip a shot? And it was ruled at that point that at the end of that particular engage or um, initiative phase engagement, he would get his shot because he would have been his initiative was changed at that point from being damaged. That same logic would apply for Null because at that point uh, his ability is reliant on him being not damaged. So if he does take a damage card, his initiative would switch 
from initiative seven down to initiative zero. That's the rationale that I would use. So does that rush still hold up? What do you mean, his ability? Yeah. Yes, it does. So you could shoot rush and he doesn't get a shot. No, no, he does get a shot. The ruling was that he, at the end of that uh, initiative engagement, uh, whether it have been five or four, he, uh, if he becomes damaged, then he does get his shot at the end of that engagement phase because he is now a higher initiative than what he was previously. See, you could also make the argument from that that says null because it's still at that beginning in that initiative. He would still be a seven and he would be a seven until the end of that phase. Because what you're saying is it's round, it's it's initiative shooting initiative four. And all of a sudden he he goes, oh, now I'm a six and now I got to be fit fitted into this four in them in the middle of that phase. So. You know, that would still say, to me, Null could get shot, take the damage, and then would immediately become um, part of that. Okay. Well, we got to put it up to a vote to our to our viewers. Um, let us know in the chat what do you guys think. Does, uh, does Null still get his shot at Initiative 7 if he shot first from Null? Or does he go down to Initiative 0 and then take a shot at that time? Yeah, and to me, it would it would seem again. It's still going to be a very niche situation. Like, how often is Namlam yeah. and all going to ever face off? That's you know true. that type of a thing. You know, and and I'll tell you, like when I fly Null, a lot of people will just go shoot Null right away, just to, so they don't have to deal with them. Um, but he becomes like a better blocker, honestly, on Initiative Zero. He is pretty good, actually. <laughs> so, so the other question is, I guess in current state right now. If I'm null and you shoot me and take damage, do I go immediately down to zero? Yes. You currently, it current. that's how it's currently ruled. Yeah, because at that point, assuming he takes a whole damage, right? Like, not that he loses a shield, but he actually has a whole damage card on him that at that point, because he has damage, he would go down to initiative zero. So, yes. Oh, then why are we even arguing about this? If this has already been ruled, JJ, that like, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Like, but it had, okay, but you didn't reference the rule. Okay. You didn't reference that. I've never heard that before. So when I was flying, okay. no, nobody ever told me I couldn't shoot at initiative seven, even if you got damage on me. Like I never had an opponent yeah. go, you can't do that. Yeah. Like if you took a bomb, for instance, like a, like a proton bomb that went on, or sorry, not a proton, a concussion bomb, let's say that went under your shields. Um, during the activation phase, and at that point, he would have been damaged, and then um, engagement phase started, and he's in initiative zero. Yes, but I've never had it where I've been initiative seven and lost it for whatever reason. So, so the only other in uh, way that would have happened currently in game would have been is if he's facing off against a, a Jedi that has heightened perception. And also had uh, first player, which means that they would have had the first shot, and then also gotten damage onto Null. That um, that would have dropped them down to initiative zero as well. Okay, so we don't have an actual case then. Yeah. Now the interesting interaction though is with heightened perception and non-lum, right? Because a, a player order matters in this case, right? So if you have non-lum choose to copy a Jedi first they copy their initiative let's say he chooses to copy barris for some reason because that's the only ship and then barris has heightened perception equipped 
If Nalam copies Barris's initiative, then at that point, she would become an initiative four. And then Barris can trigger heightened perception at the start of the engagement phase and now become an initiative seven. Nanlam at this point, as I read it, would still re remain at initiative four. I mean, because that would kind of be the same thing as if if Nanlam flies in, right, and you had that. So let's say you. Okay, because here goes here. Here's even crazier thinking. So you, at the start of the engage. Okay, so I see. So he, Nanlam only changes at engagement phase. Yeah, that's the start it. of the engagement. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Because otherwise, it would be even crazier if he changed back and got the shoot twice. Yeah, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think he would be able to do that. But you could, if you have him and Torkoalmux, you can choose to trigger him first and then Torkoalmux the ship that he just copied down to zero. And he, Nanlum, would retain the ship's initiative that you just stop, copied. Just stop. stop. You know, you're going to make me hate Torkoalmux. Like, don't, don't bring back Torkoalmux. I got to get the heat off of Neen Num, man. No. no. <laughs> I still hate Neen Num, but Neen Num is not a threat. Oh, man. Torkoalmux isn't as much of a threat without Moldy Crow, though. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, by far. Absolutely. He's very easy to arc dodge at that point. Unless you want to bring down my stupid little uh, droid, then I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but if my Grievous gets in your front arc, then, you know, shame on me. <laughs> that point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So those are kind of the new ships that we had. Um, That we had. So now we're going to move on to our Academy 101 segment. <laughs> That being said, last week we started um, we started a discussion on scenarios, wing conditions, different things like that. Um, and then what I wanted to do is it, that, that that's what I want to focus on this week. And essentially to kind of lay out exactly what I was thinking, how I wanted to go through this um, so we don't have a bunch of confusion is the idea is, is we're going to take and dissect every one of the different scenarios, talk about wing conditions talk about objective placements, talk about types of lists that work best, don't work best. Um, you know, when do you pivot your, your wing condition? Um, and if we want to, we could talk about opening engage, opening engagement type tactics, right? Um, that one's kind of a, a, an off left field, but the idea is, is if we can categorize different lists, you know, so for example, four rebel, arcs is a beef list that's what jj would call that i would call it um a nightmare on one agility but that's just me <laughs> and um so the difference is though right is if we have rough understandings of list styles without having the exact list you can build around and be part of that list so if we say hey we have a control list right we have uncar plot we have um you know uh ketsu we have I don't know what else can throw tractor tokens. Oh, ensnared. Ugh. Yeah. You know, when we look at it, what is a control list? What we have there right then is the fact that if you build something and it fits into those parameters, your wing conditions for that specific scenario are going to be this roughly these type of things. And the idea was, is if we 
put these win conditions together. We put the, the style of the objective together. We then are able to look at each different style list and say, okay, well, based on this, this list will do that have this probability rating to hit that. Right. Um, again, not perfect science, but it, it gives us a different way to go about actually examining each different faction. Because this week we could say, hey, we're going to look at Assault on the Satellite Array, which is what we want to do, right? And then we can kind of go through different lists and the different factions, or we can move on to the next, the next scenario and kind of do the same thing. And then we can come back and actually analyze ships, pilots, uh, and lists that fit that, that piece of it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Any questions, JJ, or anything you want to comment before we get going? Nope, let's get to it. All right, so we have Assault at the Satellite Array. That is our first one. JJ, you want to give us a high-level overview of what that specific scenario is? So this is one of the standard uh, scenarios that we have here for X-Wing. Um, essentially, it boils down to area control uh, for, this, um, for this style of play. You place five different objective points between yourself and the other player, uh, one of them being in the center. And the objective of this particular scenario is to have your ships within range zero to one of each of those objective points uh, to control them. Um, your small base ships uh, count as one point, um, and uh, sorry, count as one ship, and then the medium bases and the large bases count as two. So the larger ships do have a little bit of advantage when coming uh, when it comes to contesting those objective points. Um, and then, of course, uh, the first player to twenty points, uh, twenty points or more in this particular scenario wins that engagement. Yep, there is no half points. You are not rewarded for destroying. <laughs> Best ships for each other. Je Jedi's only for the next month, Greg. In a month, that will change. Yeah. I will sure. bet money that Jedi's will not be as good as they are in a month. Or whenever they have the next points rule. So, we can take the over-under on that if you want. Um, <laughs> Alright, so yeah, that makes sense. So, essentially, it's the idea is, is be next to the objectives is king. Correct? That's right. All right. So we brought up a little bit of a scenario here. As you can see. It's cockeyed because I guess I don't know how to not make it cockeyed. Anyway. So as you see, JJ's already placed all the obstacles, which I would disagree with where he places them, but he did place all the obstacles. Yeah, it's just random. It's randomized just for the heck of it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. You're missing the good obstacle, buddy. You're missing the weird, long, like, finger. Middle finger? Yeah, yeah, the middle finger. <laughs> oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay. I thought um, you were talking about the, uh... <laughs> the... <laughs> no. No, not there the bacon. Go. Not the bacon. Oh, that one? That's the hook. Nah. Yeah. No, that's, that's the claw. I always consider that one the claw. Now we're losing people. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... So he's already placed all the objectives. So the idea is, is the more ships you have, you know, in that area, the more points you score. Now, what list, JJ, do you feel fit this or what do you feel is the wing condition? So, again, we could have several wing conditions depending on the list. But if we were looking at this on a, as a holistic view on a high level, having ships near objectives, you don't have to take your actions. You just have to have ships 
that are near objectives to get points. Right. The um, it, this one is a little bit more forgiving um, than some of the other scenarios because some of the other scenarios require you to spend an action in order to interact with that particular objective point, like salvage or um, scramble transmission, for instance. For this one, as long as you're just near that particular area, this um, then you you're in contention for that particular spot. Um, so trying to uh, cover as many of these spots as possible and uh, and just denying those areas from your opponent, that is your win condition for this particular uh, scenario. Yep. So in terms of when we look at lists, the way I the, the types of lists that I see that do really well, because again, this talks about do we want to go for objective points or do you just want to murder things, right? Because again, our old mentality would say we just go murder things. That's how we have always done it. Why would we do anything different? And I think in this, in this specific area, right? I think there two. There's two things to scoring objective points over killing things, right? One is very fast ships that can move from one objective to the other and still be defensive. So they're very versatile a very versatile list. Um, that would be, you know, one, because, it, and again, I won't use Jedi because I hate Jedi, but we'll just use a Naboo, a Naboo. Um, we'll use, God damn it, that's still Republic too, isn't it? A Naboo <laughs> wants to go three to five anyway. So if you had, I don't know, ooh, I could, can you see, oh, you can see my hand. If I had a Naboo here, I can come over here. I'm getting an objective point. I can then be here the next turn within that vicinity again not as easy well, it take me two turns to get there but you get what i'm saying is i have my native boost um and it looks like you're loading a squad yep just so we can use the models just to like represent it a little bit better all right um we'll use this for our medium base and i'll bring up a large base here as well and we'll get a small base here in a second Um, so the idea here is, is that if you have a ship that can move, that's very versatile, that can fly really well, as well as still get its mods, um, that is a, those, that is a list that will do very well in the scenario because you don't specifically have to engage and attack. You can pot shot, you can run, you can just skip between the two. The other type of list, and I, and before JJ says, well, I'm pretty sure it's a droid list. I would disagree with you actually. I don't like droid lists in this specific engagement. Um, uh, I would actually say lists that have a mix of medium base, like slow moving medium base, and then a few smaller ships do very well. So you have a couple of ships that can be on their own, can go take objectives. I don't know what you would call that in terms of a, a, a list style. I don't know. Maybe JJ can has a name. I don't know what you would call, I would that. call it a jack of all trades, basically. But essentially, that is that's kind of what you're looking at. So a jack of all trades and a really fast ship list. Those are kind of the two that I feel do the best in this type of a scenario. What is your thoughts, JJ? 
Yeah. Um, there's, I, I do agree that having a jack of all trades list does help you, um, especially if you can manage to get your ship count between four to five ships. Um, I think that's the best because if you manage to get your ships to have um, to be as efficient on its own as it can, or at least share its um, uh, share its effectiveness with a with a support ship to go along with it to help it get that extra actions or extra uh, extra tokens to help support you control like certain objectives. Then you're gonna you're gonna score some points because you're gonna discourage your opponent from coming in and trying to take those points. Um, those control points from you um, in that area there. Um, also having, um, especially when it comes to like the center objective uh, where it turns out to be um, probably like the more contested area there uh, where people tend to gravitate towards the center there as they're passing by or coming through. Um, having more bodies in the area to prevent that objective from going to your opponent, um, denying those free points over to them, um, definitely really helps to, to help you at least deny your opponent from getting those points, if not getting that point yourself, if they decide to abandon it in favor for other, um, other locations there. Now, the other thing that we we can take into account here is some of the larger uh, larger ship counts that we can see, right? Uh, we know that in almost every faction, there are ways to get up to seven ships um, and uh, or at least six ships uh, in your list. And that helps you uh, really spread out and help you go after some of those objectives, even if you send out your, um, your, your weaker ships along the side flanks to try to catch some of the objectives towards your opponent's edge. Um, that uh, that helps put the pressure on your opponent to either split their forces or dedicate uh, their forces to try to take out some of the other groupings of ships that are coming in through the center. Um, they they do have a little bit of a uh, of an advantage just in the bodies to go and contest other objectives towards the edge. Um, the only caveat is that they do have to be fast um, in order to get over to that location and uh, and contest it. And also just keep in mind not to. Um, like run into some of the enemy aces that might have a better shot um, or better modifications on offense or defense and uh, end up getting destroyed and giving up points instead. Yep. So do you feel wing condition is more so collecting objective points or killing other ships? It depends. So it, it really depends on the matchup that you end up getting. Um, I say that you, in this particular scenario, you do tend to lean more on the points um, that you collect from the objectives because it's easier to um, to contest one objective in the center and hang on um, being uncontested at other points. You tend to generate more points that way. Um, and it just have your opponent just chase some of your ships around while you have everybody else collecting points off of the other objectives. Um, it, I mean, if you think about it, if you manage to, let's say, control two control points um, steadily throughout the rounds, that's going to be, uh, by the end of three rounds, that's six points. That's the equivalent of, like, probably one of these medium base or large base ships that you see on the board here without having to put too much effort into combat. Um, and that's, that's a really good way to get ahead. Um, so definitely, I think that, um, just collecting those points is probably going to be a, a more of a win condition than killing your ships on average. Yep. And I think that's why that mid tier list fits 
or what what did you call it? jack of all trades lists fits yeah. better because you're gonna have either two medium base or one large base and some small bases you know and, and, and like so for example charles's list that we reviewed was three large bases that's not a jack of all trades list so you would dump no. uh lando and that would give you room for the two four points you know the two the two pointers right i think mm-hmm. um how much is lando six points or seven I was seven points. Yep. And then that gives you enough for like a Hawk, like a support ship. So you have a a support ship. You have two ships that can kind of be, be off on their own um, and go collect objectives, but you don't have really that AC style fast ship, you know, in there. But scum really, I don't think scum really has that other than a Fang fighter, which is really overpriced at this point. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and not to say that you know that's the end be all end all. I mean, you can certainly and I've seen other um, other people play on different streams where they do bring in the large bases with a smaller ship count, uh, either a three or four ship count, and they do well these objectives because if you take a look at the large base in particular, um, this if you manage to put it in the right location and. Part of this also has to do with how you set up your objectives as well um, from the get-go. I mean, if you take a look at this gauntlet fighter here, you can easily put it here in the center where he has a great avenue in the front. um, Or he can rotate to the side on a separate turn and have shots um, going down the center this way. And at uh, both of those times, he's at range one of both of these objectives. And if he's only fighting off one ship um, from either corner, he's going to either win those objectives outright because he's out contesting them just by being a large base, um, or he he prevents the other opponent from collecting them if there's two ships in that area. Um, and it's rare that you'll see three ships come in um, all together there while the rest of the other objectives are, are uncontested. And if they're doing that, then your, your counter to that would be having your other ships going out and grabbing those other uncontested objectives at that point. Um, so it, it's adjusting your play style and your and keeping in mind what your win condition is at that point. You're still going for those objectives, but you're being a threat by bringing in a really powerful ship in the center that can tank a few shots and steal punishment in return as well. Because I think you can still run. You can, if you get rid of Rook, you could run Maul, Maul. Mm-hmm. Kanan, the two two point ships, and um, Q9 or one of the guild bounty hunters, and mm-hmm. essentially that's a what a, a a five ship list that actually has two invisible ships for this type of scenario. Um, mm-hmm. None of them are going to do a million pounds of damage, but I think here again the idea is is our wing condition is not specific damage. Our wing condition is if they because here you go, if they come in and swarm your your eight point mall ship, Maul's just leaving. He's he's going to the other side of the board. So you have to pin him in to get him to be stuck there. Right. You know. And those gauntlets are really hard to pin in. Um, especially when you give them lanes like that. <laughs> so yeah, he's got exactly. that guy's got a lane for days. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's part of the the strategy to this as well, right? Turn zero, making sure that if you're you know, know the strengths of your list, right? You if you're having that medium or large base ship uh coming in towards the center or you're planning to place them towards the center, 
making sure that your obstacle placement is wide enough to make sure that your ships have a lane to go through and fly through to contest those objectives um, is very, very key because um, you're, you know, it, it's a whole different story if this um, if this rock placement is done a little bit different over here, you know, and let's say that your opponent also put, decides to put it over here, you know, placing your gauntlet anywhere in this corner over here is not ideal. You know, you're going to want to kind of place them over here on this side. By the same time, you're minimizing the effectiveness of your list because even if you place it here, it's going to be very difficult for you to get both of these objectives at range one, you see, just outside. Um, so knowing where to place your objectives as well as placing your obstacles um, to benefit your list um, is very, very key for this scenario as well. Yep. All right. So we've identified that that style. The other one is the high agility moving ship, right? Your, your high agility moving ship is high agility and fast moving ship would be something that would be a benefit right um so i would say rebels has a wings <laughs> that's probably the fastest moving ship in rebels empire has yeah. interceptors um the tie fighters really don't fit there oh yeah they do have x you you're right they have x wings in in kind of and i say that i don't know x wings really still aren't that fast moving honestly yeah yeah i mean the 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 four straight boost can get you into the center objective if you're going straight from like the middle um but beyond that the a wings are unmatched when it comes to like just doing that five straight boost it's it's just really strong on the rebellion so yeah yeah um empire has interceptors um what does fo have evo has tie bas and silencers um, and the whisper and a whisper, which actually the whisper is probably a more efficient ship for that. Um, and I'm very sad because originally I was going to buy four or five whispers and I only need three of them and I can't run the four whisper list or five whisper list that other people are running. So very sad by that. It's um, just so expensive, man. It's way too expensive for what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they'll make whispers good, good again someday. Who knows? Um, so what else? Uh, you obviously there's Jedi, or high agility type ships, um, A wings and resistance, uh, along with those T70s. I mean, look at Snap. Snap has uh, one of the versions of Snap has that boost. I mean, it's six points, but he gets that free boost after he moves. Um, I've yeah. literally watched Snap take a center objective before, which is crazy because you wouldn't think you'd leave your X wing out there. But how many people? boost into that center objective and get in there you're probably taking a range three shot from somebody that's about it and then snap can just run away again yeah exactly and not on top of that that's still a three die gun in the center as well that can challenge people who who might try to come in through that that area and uh snap will still have uh, a mod too because that passive boost on him um, from his ability, uh, just gets him into into that range to contest that center objective, and then he can uh, he can focus. Um, if he has another ship there, he can target lock. If he wants to be more aggressive, especially with ordinance, and she can he can definitely do a lot of work. Absolutely. Yep. And in this scenario, because the ships don't have to take actions, having alternate ways to take actions don't really mean anything. I think beef ships or beef lists kind of lose in this one. Um, 
the only thing they're doing. Beefless high point is not losing a ship, um, but they're going to struggle to take those objective points. They just really are. Um, in the separatist side, I will tell you a somewhat controlling list is good. The problem becomes is if you go up to those objectives, even if you're double calculating, it doesn't really matter uh, if you take two to three shots. You're only two agility. You're getting taken out. Um, so I actually think this objective is probably one of the worst ones uh, for separatists right now, unless you're running something, you know, some sort of like three high initiative, like uh Sunfact, Grievous, and I don't know, uh, Django, or I don't even think you could fit Django. I think it's a Boba that goes in there. Um, yeah. Or a gauntlet. So. Yeah, Any I think the gauntlet is in a good spot for the separatists um, just to try to like similar to what we have here on the board where you can have that one big ship uh, to threaten down the center and then some of the more efficient smaller bases to come in from the flanks to try to contest objectives and and can turn into the center to help take out a ship if they if they have the opportunity to. Um, and that's that's where separatists are um, for this type of scenario at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we talked a little bit about a win condition. We talked about, um, you know, what works best. Do you ever have to pivot? So I think, you know, in terms of this, those two lists that we talked about, they probably don't have to pivot much unless somehow you get one of your ships burned down and you give up like six points. I don't think those lists have to pivot. I would say that the majority of other lists that fit into that scheme are still going to go for objective points, but they're going to give up a few of them to focus fire on the highest pointed ship that they can destroy. So if the gauntlet is on the board, you're probably going after that gauntlet, except for if that ST 70 is on the board, I'm probably going after that one first. Even if it's a, a point or two less, I'm going to go after that one because it's easier to kill and has less health than that gauntlet does. So, yep. Your, your alternate wing condition that I would see for this list is is the destroying of the ships and it's focusing fire on whatever has the highest amount of points. Um, it's typically a mid-tier list, like a jack-of-all-trades list, is not going to have a high enough initiative ship or a fast enough ship that it's going to be able to run two or three of them away from you. If you take all, let's say, four of your ships or five of your ships and attack the large ship, it's going to die. It will it will die. Um, yeah. And like a lot of people were saying, Hey, to begin with, you have to snatch those first two objective points. And this scenario, unless you're those two lists, I don't believe you have to snatch those two objective points right away. I don't believe that that is a mandatory thing. If you give up the one point, I think you need to go in and make kill boxes and start taking higher valued ships off the board in some way shape or form unless it's a stupid anakin and an ada then the only thing that kills that is bombs <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah with the lower ship accounts uh, that um that that you could potentially run on these type of scenarios um choosing your target is very key um obviously trying to take out that that really high point costed ship on your enemies list is very important 
um, because you want to put the pressure on your opponent to try to make up those points and um, while at the same time making sure that your own trip doesn't die in the process. Um, the other part of it, too, is also kind of uh, just taking what your enemy gives you, right? Sometimes uh, an enemy will offer up a ship uh, for for to, like, distract it, and you got to make sure that you try to take it out as best as you can without sacrificing your own positioning um, for either holding a particular objective point um, or setting yourself in a position where you won't be able to come back to claim an objective spot um, the following rounds and making sure that you don't overcommit on uh, pursuing a ship that might be worth only two points or even three points, which may not be worth it in the long run if you end up sacrificing one or two control points with your list um, for it, and it's going to be more difficult for you to come back. In this particular example, let's say that you end up uh, with your gauntlet here and you have a lower um, a lower costed ship here. In this case, Ezra is a three-point ship. If you decide that you want to start chasing Ezra on the board over here uh, while he goes over here um, the next turn here you either if you overcommit, you can end up coming out over here and you're not going to be in a great spot to come back around to try to contest the rest of the board here and now the rest of the list can come in and essentially start claiming these objectives that you just left behind um, while you're chasing a three-point ship so just reading the board uh, state and knowing what your ship can and cannot do um, is uh, is very key there um, to make sure that you're not giving up your positioning and letting your enemy kind of make you chase them just so you can leave up a spot that's more desirable for them yep so let's talk about objective placement a little bit so if you want to can you move the ships off the board just for a second yep. um or can you throw your range one bubbles or yeah throw the range one bubbles up i get there are for, the range one um rulers right sure. yeah because that mm -hmm. shows us the board edge on the both sides oh i see what you're saying okay yeah so what I think is interesting, and this is where we have to discuss a little bit, right? So if you are, if you it, it normally, and again, people think that these, um, thank you. People think that normally here, normally what you would do with your objectives is you put one very close to you, right? So you can get it out of the gate without having to be super committed. And then you would place your opponents closer to the middle. So now the question becomes, right, do you really genuinely want to do that, right? Do we genuinely want to place all of the objectives like we would normally place them, right? Do we really want that one objective so far down there that you have to come get it? And I think the answer is the only time you place, so we're going to go with the red side versus the blue. So the other side, JJ. Oh, I can move my stupid little hand too, can I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. Except for I chose black, so I don't show up very well. So this objective that you placed down here to begin with mm -hmm. is probably a mistake if that's the first objective you place on your side, right? It would depend on the list, right? Because there's some lists that um, that do have a lot of high-flying, uh, like fast-flying ships that can go fast between, uh, like across the board to go claim objectives. And then you have ships that are basically uh, like a support ship, for instance, like an AP-5 type uh, ship on the Sheetapede that typically doesn't want to go too fast because it doesn't want to get ahead of its other ships to provide support. 
um, having an objective like this where they can still support their their ships um, and I'll kind of use an example here um, for instance like they can start off here do a one straight um, still claim that objective point and then slowly make their way across the board and still have uh, range to those objective points while priority coordinates over to the other ships that are coming in either to the center or moving on to other objective points if you have that kind of ship uh, on your list, it is beneficial to have that uh, because the opponent would have to spend resources to try to come down here to try to take out that support ship, uh, which is typically lower in cost um, than some of your higher ships. And that's okay, right? Because you're making them deviate and leaving the other points open to try to bring them over here. However, if you don't have that kind of ship on your list um, and you have more of an ace style list, let's say you had like two these gauntlets, having one out here, it does not benefit you at all. Um, you just like I said before, you probably want to put this a little bit closer uh, to other points. And so that way it's easier for your other ships to come in and try to claim both of these objectives or at least be able to transition from one objective to another on the pass and um and always try to contest an objective point with every turn that you have with that ship yep the other thing to do is to think about it this way is depending on what your opponent has for ships the idea would be is if you look at like when you go to place it on their side placing it as close to the board edge as you can mm -hmm. actually is a benefit because they have to then stay at that that ship so that again, if it's the coordinating ship, and see, this is where I disagree a tiny bit with JJ in, in the coordination piece. I don't think a ship going one forward every turn is going to be able to coordinate more than two turns. That's it. And then those other ships are just going to move way past them. And it is range one. So I would move my first, my ship, my one would be closer to the center is what I would do. It could be closer to the back. I wouldn't put it on the side here. I would put that one closer to the center. And then your first turn, you you can do your one forward. So I would like put there? it closer to the center. Like actually very, yep, there you go. Uh, like right there. Yes. Okay. And what, yeah, that, that's a place. what that does is the same thing, is you can come in on your angles. You can move your, your coordinating ship how you want it to move. Um, and again, you think in only rebel terms, I swear to God. Uh, because nobody else had goes fucking one forward almost ever except for rebels. So, um, nobody. So that's just stupid. Um, yeah. Now that I think about it, one straights isn't very common across the factions. You're absolutely they're right. not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're not. Nobody has it. Um. Anyway, whatever. Uh. So, but but the, if it were me, that's where I would place my first one. If I had that coordinator, if I have the fast moving ships, the really fast moving ships. I would leave one closer to the edge here and then do the same thing on my opponent's side over here. Place it as far as I can because I'm going to come in. I'm going to do a three forward. I believe a three forwards, three to four forward will still put me in range one. And then the next turn, I'm doing a five straight all the way down the board edge and barrel rolling, evading, or whatever I can do to get my stuff. And I've done that with Grievous before. Um, I if When I run Grievous... I will have this objective here. Oh, stop locking him. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I would have this one here closer to a little bit closer to the edge. In, in the only only for the fact that I could bring Grievous in here, put him. I don't know how you could come up to here, right? 
Yeah, with a with a four. Yeah. I guess you have to lock it to get it to to trigger it. Locked. Thing. Yep. There you go. Yeah, you had it. You're killing me with this. You're right, doing it. I'm, I'm just going to let you do it. I'm yeah. just gonna, I want to know how far my ship can go. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, actually. So I think you're actually good right where you are there. Uh, that's okay. right at the edge of, of range one. Yep. And will you take a maneuver template and put a maneuver? I think it's a, I think that's a four straight, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right on uh, probably like a, a four straight with a boost. So a four straight with the boost yeah. or a, a five straight little offset. And then if you Ooh. dial in another, if you dial in a five straight maneuver, put your five straight template in there. Mm -hmm. And then move that ship all the way to the end. And if he's doing a five straight. Yep. There you go. So you can actually do a four straight too, if you want and still probably be within range one of that yeah absolutely and, then, and that and that you can hard turn later and still re maintain that area uh right there next to that objective on the following turn as well yep and if you're grievous you're doing a three sloop and hoping there's still a a ship there that you could shoot at and then you got your objective for three turns and that's over 50 mm percent -hmm. of the damn game yeah that's very true um, so I think that's, I, I think that's it. the idea is, is if you have fast moving ships, you want both of the objectives as far away from, um, the board or as far away from each other as you can on the one side, if you can get that, um, that way you could put your AC style player in that method, let him fly as fast as he can or the, as fast as they can to get, um, where they're going. Otherwise, if you have very slow, if if your opponent has uh, slow moving ships, putting that objective on the far back forces them to leave a ship behind. So if they have a five ship list, they're leaving one ship behind if they want that objective. And there could be arguments to be made of whether you care about that one point or not. I would not care as much about that one point. And I will tell you the last game I played, um, this is exactly what the opponent and I did to each other. Um, they they copied me, Sean, um, and <laughs> um, I placed their objective as far as I could against the board edge for them, and that was purely because um, essentially the way that they, they were running Jedis and a gauntlet, right? And that forced that Jedi to stay out of combat if it wanted it, or it forced that um, gauntlet to stay out of combat and just stay back there. Um, so it removed one of the ships from being able to take other objectives and attack me. Um, and when you only have three, when you only have four Jedi's and a gauntlet, if one of them gets left behind, that's, that's a lot of points to leave behind, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Anything else that you wanted to, to discuss when it comes to assault at the satellite array? Yeah, the other thing that we we haven't really factored in is something that I have a lot of experience with is using bombs, uh, lists with bombs. Now, um, in in a 
in a list that um, that can toss bombs out the front or at least drop bombs behind them or even put um, like mines in their place. Um, having the objectives as close as possible and then clustering them together with objective or sorry with uh, with obstacle points to create these like these choke points here is a really great way to funnel enemy ships in and uh, cause them to come in and uh, and take damage from those bombs um, and cause them to think twice on whether or not they want to do that like if you take a look at this uh, this uh, bomb generator for instance and we take a look at the range one, that's very close to all those three objective points there. It's even increased further when you consider if you make this into like, let's say a seismic charge, that's three different objectives that you can hit with that one seismic charge. And that's potential damage there um, that could really either take out a ship that's wounded or take off a ship and open up that ship to critical damage from a follow-up shot. Um, that's a really good way to, to, choke those control points together and get those damages off if you're looking to go for more of a damage race versus a um, an objective point race with your opponent there. Um, that's something to definitely consider when you're doing um, these type of objectives. Mine's also really, really good as well. Um, the, the cluster mine is really good to completely block off an area. Uh, the proximity mine almost area denies this entire corner right here uh, with all these objectives there. And the opponent is going to think twice of whether or not they want to take one automatic damage with two more potential damage there uh, for uh, for trying to come in through this lane. Um, so that's that's a really good tactic to to use against opponents. Or if you're JJ taking three cluster mines at once. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, four. It was four at once, actually. Oh, that's right. What? You're yeah. right. It was four. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. And so that's where I think the control list does okay at this. The issue becomes is it has a harder time. If, if it could throw bombs and kill really aggressively, it would do good. But most control lists are not going to be that way. Um, mm hmm but if you could dump bombs and ionize things or or dump bombs and leave them there and then force people to come through uh, or not come through there, you if you can kill them, then it's a huge benefit to you. So thermal detonators are huge, I think, in this specific um, in this specific game. I think thermal detonators are a huge win. I think you're right. Seismics are good, too. Um, but at the same token, seismics blow up the... Um, rocks and then <laughs> then you kind of clear lanes um so if you have a delayed fuse it's a little bit different but again if you're throwing it at the beginning of the round throwing a through a trajectory simulator b-wing trash target ship and it lands and sits there you would have to delay fuse that thing or if nobody gets anywhere near there, you're out of luck. So, um, I guess as Ryan would say, he had hope in the community that you would not fly in and get damaged by bombs, but, or as D would say that, but the reality is I think people don't think about trajectory simulation as often as they could. And it's a very hard thing to avoid. Yes, absolutely. Hence it needs to be put on the band list. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> All right. All right. Anything, so let's, anything else? Nope. Let's go on to our next uh, our next scenario.
actually we are at 1025 and I'm not I want to I want to be able to dedicate a full 45 minutes to the next scenario. Okay. So we will next week we will do that. Next week we will do All the right. next scenario. So uh the idea is we're gonna do one scenario a week. Um unless we have nothing else planned, then we'll do two in a week. But so we can now either if it's up to you, JJ, if if you want, you could go into um, we could talk about ships or lists, or we could kind of save that to after we do all the scenarios. Sure. Let's let's talk about um, the the boogeyman that we have right now here, which is the Jedi list. Um, I'll I'll bring up an archetype here that I actually preloaded here, um, just so we can discuss on why this particular um, this particular setup is is really good uh, or rather less i should say give me just a second to spawn this list i can bring it up is it easier if i bring it up in yasby uh yeah let's switch off into that that's probably better yes So what I'll do is I'll post it at the Discord here so that we can actually just grab it there. Uh, I don't have my Discord up, buddy. Oh, sorry, not Discord. Um, Twitch chat, sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, and we'll just kill TTS just to make this easier. All right, for those of you who want to follow along here, I just posted the list in the Discord here. Now, um, it, and again, this is just a kind of like an archetype of what we've been seeing a lot um, for for the Republic in terms of like uh, list builds. There are different variations of this. Some sub out one of the Jedi's for like an Arc One Seventy, um, or they can add on um, like. Uh, uh, like a, a fifth Jedi to go in there, um, but it's it's relatively the the archetype is having at least four Jedi's in a list uh, where you you also have a bunch of other modifications to make it uh, really good as well. Uh, typically, you see CLT Jedi's just because they're valued at about four to five points, and you can easily you know fill out your list that way and um and still have access to the force now what makes these particular ships really good is the amount of mods that they can get particularly if they have another ship that can either coordinate uh to provide them additional uh tokens over to them um or give them extra actions to boost into position so that way they can outmaneuver their targets for better better shots uh, the one that we have listed here, uh, we'll do a, a quick rundown here. So Hawk and the Lat with dedicated barrage rockets and Ala Sakura. Uh, Barris Ulfi with instinctive aim, concussion missiles, and CLT. Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Ada 2 with brilliant invasion, marksmanship, auto blasters, R7A7. Uh, Contrail uh, for two points there with the best title. And then Rico lay here in the Naboo uh, and one starfighter with Juke and advanced proton torpedoes. Again, not an exact list, but this is just to kind of demonstrate the point here. Uh, so a five ship list here, um, all of them with a very high initiative so they can 
uh, react to the opponents moving into um, into an objective point to try to contest it over there, and then having the backup uh, with um, with Hawkey to coordinate them, uh, extra action or token ahead of time to get it here, and then Hawk himself uh, with Eva Sakura able to get that focus token with the coordinate, and then being able to shoot a barrage rocket if he still has that focus token during his shot. And uh, and possibly doing some good damage at range two to three uh, with his uh, his chassis. Now um, the all these ships, with the exception of the latch, can can do those fast five maneuvers uh, with boosts, uh, with their abilities, and um, and get into position to contest those uh, those objectives that are on the exterior part of the map. Um, they don't necessarily have to go into the center to start claiming objectives. Typically with these type of lists, they like to uh, set up the objective points as farther as possible um, to kind of spread out the enemy's formation and helps them be a little more evasive since they do have lower health. Um, and they can also turn in into an objective from the sides to kind of pincer their, their enemy if they decide to concentrate more towards the center and they can start picking them apart at that point and hopefully splitting their forces from the center out, making them less effective. Um, and with their three agility on their ships, they can easily get into the fray and uh, survive a couple of shots with the three agilities, uh, the three agility rolls that they can get. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to evade the shots all the time because green dice can suck sometimes, but they do have a pretty good chance, especially with extra tokens. And then, of course, the force itself on those ships acting as an additional modifier um, to help them, um, help them get that extra mods if they're taking additional shots. Yeah. And I think that's that right there in of itself is a pretty pretty thing. And I think you could kind of almost say so this list fits more of this list fits both of the things we talked about when we talked about high agility, fast moving lists and a jack of all trades list. This fits both of those and can operate both in the exact same way as the other one does. Yeah, exactly. Um, another version of this that's not in the Republic, if you're like a first order player, this is one that I've played um, before with uh, with pretty good success so far. It doesn't have the same efficiency as the um, as the Jedi list, um, since the Jedi's do have the force and that is a bigger deal. I posted it in the discord there. Um, so this one is a first order list here that uh, that kind of has a similar art type where it does have a supporting craft in Gideon Hask. Uh, followed by four really agile uh, ships that can really get into places and, and start doing um, some damage here. So um, the first one here uh, will be the She-Class Light Shuttle Gideon Hask with Fanatical, Proud Tradition, uh, Pattern Analyzer, Biohux Crypt Codes, General Hux, and Tactical Officer. Uh, we have uh, in the TIE Whisper Nightfall with Proud Tradition, Ion Missiles, and Sensor Scramblers with Pattern Analyzer. Uh, then Whirlwind, also in the TIE Whisper, with Predator, Prowse Tradition, Ion Missiles, and Pattern Analyzer as well, um, although I should probably change that to Optics. Um, then we have the TIE SE Bomber, Dread, with Pattern Analyzer, Ion Missiles, Blazer Bomb, and Delayed Fuses. 
And then to round out the list, Grudge uh, with feedback, ping, pattern analyzer, ion missiles, proximity mines, and delay fuses. Uh, those bombers uh, moving at initiative two and three going in to um, basically set themselves up for the system phase boost and then dropping ordinance and then getting uh, into position to uh, set up either ion missile shots to control their opponents for where they're going to go. And then uh, the TIE Whispers can come in to either um, further do more damage or they can go out on the exterior and um, and claim objective points, particularly Nightfall with Sensor Scramblers just getting that decloak two forward. And then a five straight can put them on the opposite side of the board really quick or behind your enemy line. And um, and there's not much you could do about it. So. Yeah, see, in here, I would change this a lot. I would dump Hux and Tack Officer. And yeah, I, for, I would, for Pyre I, and... Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, Pyre I, is a minimal yeah, yeah. staple until he goes up in points. Yeah, again, just general archetype, not specific list. But yeah, you're right. I, I would absolutely put Pyre and... Um, and Terex in there, absolutely. Yeah, because you can still keep your proud tradition. You can still keep your fanatical. I would actually argue, uh, fanatical should be dumped, and then you can you at that point you could take your biocrypts codes, mm -hmm. and then you lock whatever ship you're gonna you want to be able to coordinate to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and same with here. These pattern analyze this for whirlwind at minimum. Pattern analyzer is worthless. It, it yeah. you you want advanced optics and yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Optics is far better on whirlwind than analyzer. It, it's something I just threw it together just for first you know sake. <laughs> yeah, because either because grudge is a two is dread the five. No, oh, dread's a three. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, the the other tactic is to take whirlwind and make them use swarm tactics and make them an I seven. So you can, um, you could do that, but you don't have enough points with this list to do that without changing everything, which we're not going to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the other list that I had, um, and again, the boss is kind of interchangeable. Boss could be Bando. Boss could be Rook. Um, you you boss could not be Maul. <laughs> Without dropping Kanan down to, um, you could drop Kanan down to uh, plus, not Gleb, but uh, what's the one that you can hold? Gamut Key. Gamut. Yep. Gamut Key. Yep. So you can drop Kanan down to Gamut and trade Bosk out for Maul if you wanted. Um, I didn't go through and put any upgrades in here. Um, again, this is a flavor type ship. Uh, and, and I think here, you know, when we talk about what goes on Kanan versus what goes on somebody else, you know, Kanan is going to want to have um, something, maybe a cloaking device, right? Cloaking device has been beneficial. I've seen on him. You can use um, compassion as well on Kanan, and I think that works really well, too. Yeah, compassion um, and Kanan is really good. Although um, I do for for Kanan, you can you should have enough points for um, a cloaking device, and then also compassion. Um, so that way you can just like just keep them out of harm's way, and you can always just get that um, 
that shot or rather that ability off consistently to protect some of your other ships. That's pretty yep. good. And I think in this list, that's where it, it, it would shine, right? Because you could drop Kanan down and Manaru down to three point ships if you wanted to, right? You know, like boss technically comes in at three points. Um, if you didn't run him in the cruiser. So there's a couple other options, but this is, this is that mid, in my opinion, this is that, that, um, semi Jack of all trades list. Um, you're, you're on the lower end of that scale cause you're missing your fast ships, but really your Nadru and your Ahav can do whatever the hell they want and they don't need support from anything else and could just run away. Um, so I do have a question on how you would actually build out this manor, right? Would you put them in with the punishing one to make them a more of a threat with the, the third die, or would you consider putting the Mandalorian on him so that way he has a white uh, a white reinforce that he could pass over? All right, so that's a really good question. Damn, that's a really that's I guess I never thought about putting the Mandalorian and then giving that reinforce to Bosk, because then that frees Bosk up to just take actions mm. man i don't know so i guess yeah. i i think you have to build bosk first then so then yeah so then bosk would either have um and this is where you, this is the only issue i have with bosk is you can get behind him a little too quickly but you could run java right mm -hmm. on bosk and then you have your contraband cybernetics Allows you to just stop for five turns. Yep. And now you still got a million other points. Uh, you don't need the helm suit. You're taking Greedo. Yeah. And you're probably going to take, and this is where I would argue for the case with him with Enduring. Because in his world, right, when he takes, he gets only one agility. If you use Greedo against him, and a during forces that crit to be neutralized first, no matter what, no matter what, like it isn't even a question at that, at that point, you know, if you could fit Queel into that build, you got me sold, man. Queel uh, is just so good for a crew. Yeah. I don't know. Hold on. We'll see. Cause he get, Oh, he can't, you, you had to drop Jabba then you'd have to drop Jabba. Oh, cause you don't have that second one. Oh, oh. Still, I, I mean, I, I got to say, and um, just looking at, uh, at Crispy, uh, what he did uh, the two weekend or last weekend uh, with um, with Maul and Quill on it, Quill can just really help really repair a ship uh, back up really good if you get a good roll. Um, and that's really good on Bosk. So, yeah. yeah. And if you're going to do that, then what I would do is I if, if you if you are going to do that, drop Jabba. Mm hmm. Uh, where is Queel? I don't even see him. There Should he be is. Crew. Yep. Yeah, he's only four points. For some reason, I thought he was six. You could actually still fit Zam on here now. And still have one point left over, which I Oof, don't know what you would do really with. Good. You would do nothing with it, I guess. I, I Maybe at that point, you get rid of Contraband. No, I would keep Contraband just for the... Um for that one turn that you absolutely need to. Okay. You know? But yeah, that's that's a that's a heck of a, a nice little list there actually. So then the the answer then when we talk about it is do you, how do you build Manaru to be able to pass it? Cuz it, it again 
right? You could, you have Kanan as a coordinator and you could have Manaru as a coordinator. So if you want to be ultra defensive, then you would run, like you had said, no punishing one and run this as a completely defensive ship that you could just shift off tokens for. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Mandalorian is only two points, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, to, uh, how yes. To yeah, he's two points. Then run a cannon on Manaru. Um, yeah, you, you could tractor or something. Yeah. Uh, see, tra auto I don't blaster. Auto yeah, blaster. either auto blaster or heavy heavy laser cannon. Probably auto blaster. Yeah, auto blaster. Yeah. And then just point your your rotate out the side. Then you could take. You still got three points, so you can either take agile gunner. If you wanted, you could still take the title, can't you? Or is the title five points? The title. Uh, takes oh, it out kills the, your uh, it kills your thing. Yeah. That's right. So you could run. Then you could run agile gunner. You could also put enduring. I wish Manaru had like three more points. <laughs> um. Yeah. You could put enduring on him, if you wanted. And there's probably no one, more one point gunners. Uh, I would actually consider contraband over enduring just so he can turn around and then still, you know, keep and the still pressure. do his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now you put over two modulators. I think, I think you have to. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah. you do. Because yeah. for, because then then you can pass all your overtune modulators and your reinforced token oh all to God. Bosk in one turn. And Bosk could take That's a target lock. Zam? Oh yep. my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, then on Kanan, Kanan, you're putting this is what you're doing. Then on Kanan, fuck. Like, I, we're going all in, baby, on, on, on Boss. Then you're putting Gamut Key. That's what you're going to do on Kanan. You're putting Gamut Key on Kanan. <laughs> and then you're going to, you could double, rein, or double reinforce, save. Say and oh my god, wait, wait. And Kanan says during the end phase, circular tokens are not removed. You can literally pop over tuned, dump off all of that, give it to boss, let him save every one of those tokens that he doesn't use <laughs> for the next turn. So now you have 35% of your whole fucking game with Bosk with reinforce and, and tokens. And if he takes a second reinforce token that turn, he now has two reinforce and three circular tokens. He or three three um think that he just saved. Cal uh, yeah, calculates, yeah. Yep. Oh and then he can just go nuts the next round. Oh my god. He <laughs> could then the next round he could fucking pop contraband and get a and stop and get and get a third Reinforce. <laughs> My gosh. And and Manaru can take a reinforce and pass a fourth one. <laughs> My gosh, that's nuts, man. Oh my god, I'm I'm building this. I'm building this for tomorrow. That's what I'm doing. This hundred <laughs> percent. And now you have two you have two large base ships that are gonna contest um points. You have mm -hmm. two ships that are just gonna run amok in the in, in behind, and Kanan's gonna continually just kind of circle. Um, those two ships and deny um, range bonuses. That's what Kanan's going to do. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I like it. All right. Well, I think that's it for list building. If you have ideas and you would like to submit lists for us to review, hop on over to our Discord. 
and go over to the Discord, and I, if I don't have one, I will, by the end of the night, have a list sharing or list thing inside of the Discord that you can share your list. So if you have a list that you were like, hey, based on last week's scenario discussion, we would like this list reviewed. How does this fit into that scenario? Or going forward at any time, you're welcome to do this. Because the idea is we're going to do all of these scenarios and then what we're going to do is we're going to do more of a deep dive and hopefully by then we'll get new points <laughs> and we're going to do a little bit more deep diving into each of the different factions and how they can all fit together, you know, and, and based on what archetypes and then that's how we're going to track all of this. So all of it will be tracked. We're going to put it like in a Google doc or we're going to put it in a Google sheets or something. And then it'll be, these are where we feel and these are some of the lists that you can run, blah, blah, blah. And that'll all be there for anybody who wants to take it and rip it apart and dissect it. But if you have a list, you're like, hey, I think this fits into this archetype. Can you go through this list? How do you feel about this list and how does it work? We will happily, happily do that. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap the show up. Thank you all for joining us tonight. If you have not, consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Um, we Again, we are working for our June. In June is when we went live with our first episode for our anniversary. We are going to do try to do some sort of a big episode in June with giveaways and everything like that. So so be prepared and be looking for our June episode where we'll be doing giveaways um with some of the stuff that we have. Um the new Twitch announcement the rumor is is that they're going to start knocking people down to 50% versus 75% uh sponsorship. So we don't get 75% anyway cuz we're not that popular, but um that is kind of a, a that's kind of a negative effect. So um, we are looking at moving more of the subscription pieces to um, Patreon and anybody that wants to support us there. Um, we're going to update our rewards by the end of the month of May and we'll be able to start giving out quarterly rewards and stuff like that. So with that being said, thank you all. Have a good night and we'll be back next week with another Planning Phase Syndicate. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, guys.